0: We thank you for listening to the weekly sermon of First United Methodist Church, Missouri City, Texas. We're a church that's making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. For more information about the church and its ministries or how we can pray for you, visit us on the web at fumcmc.org. If you desire to make a quick contribution in support of our ministries, you can text to give. Simply text the amount you want to give to 281-369-4870 and follow the instructions. And now, as you listen, we hope that you find this podcast meaningful and transformational in your journey of faith. Have a seat anybody want to share who who eric who thomas merton that's because of last week you know how he died he electrocuted himself i mean not on purpose he electrocuted himself who do you want to have a beer with you're but you can't have a beer can you i'm telling your dad who else who who else Adam Hamilton. Who? George George Strait? So someone over there said Willie Nelson and we had to remind them you'd probably have to smoke something, not have a beer. Anyone over here? Julie Andrews. Just go see the movie. Who else? Someone one more. Your dad. Did, did, now, show of, Jill, who was yours? What a cop-out. Did anyone, and show of hands, be honest, no lying, no, no kissing up to the preacher. Did anyone say the Apostle Paul? No. No. You see, the Apostle Paul would be one of the least people I would want to have a beer with because I have nothing in common with him. Or at least I thought I did. I mean, I thought I had nothing in common with this guy. And if you had a beer with him, it would be one fairly boring time. And then this week, I started reading um, uh, a bunch of his different letters, and I realized that, in fact, Paul and I really do have a lot in common. You see, Paul used sports analogy in almost all his letters. He loved sports. Now, granted, the sports he loved were the wrong sports. He, he, he never wrote about baseball and spring training. He didn't talk about the Super Bowl he talked about sports that were in his day, uh, marathon running, uh, races, and um, especially he loved the idea of the gladiator ring, right, the arena. And so I think Paul moved up. He may have hit the top 100 of who I would want to have a beer with. See, and part of my thinking this week is because we're doing this prayer, this prayer that we're calling the prayer of St. Patrick, but really it's called um, St. Patrick's Lorica, which just means the breastplate. So it's also known as the breastplate of St. Patrick. And most theologians, A, they don't really think that he wrote it, that it came around years after but he had other writings that were similar to this that he got accredited for it. And B, they think that he got the idea, whoever wrote it, from Paul's letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. Because in there, there is this little thing, this passage that starts talking about the breastplate. Now, when I was reading it this week, um, and I'm going to confess that my brain just works a little bizarre, uh, you would normally read the St. Patrick's Prayer when? That's not a trick question. That's really easy. In March, March 17th or somewhere around there, because that's St. Patrick's Day named after the guy who wrote the prayer. And in March 17th, what's going on in the world other than spring training? It's March Madness, the second greatest th- sports event in, in, in America. Only, well, third, because the first is pitchers and catchers reporting, the second of the World Series, and the third, March Madness. So when I was reading this, I had March on the brain and my mind, because this is how my mind works, goes back to the early 1990s. And I start thinking about Duke. Because in the early 1990s, Duke was the powerhouse team to beat in the NCAA. And their arch rivals, a little college in uh, North Carolina, right? It's just a know-nothing college because it's not Methodist. And Duke, for one of the games in the early 90s, broke out this t-shirt. And it was to kind of poke fun and rib and tease the North Carolina folks. And it said, you can talk the game, but can you play the game? Now, the understanding of that is that uh, he, uh, they want. They said that North Carolina, you know how to talk about basketball, but can you really play basketball? And if you're at Duke, not only do we talk about it, we can actually. Play it, And it became this little rivalry building up. And, and, and while my mind may work ba- differently than most of yours, I think that's kind of the point that Paul was making when he wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus. He was saying to them, it is not enough just to talk about your faith. It is not enough to stand up, to recite creeds, to say prayers, to sing hymns. It is not about that. Anyone can talk about their faith, but can you play the game? Can you actually live out what you're claiming to believe? And with that in mind, he wrote, I think, this little passage in chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to skip some of it, I think. John, so, or Jim, who's ever with me, stay. This is how he starts. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. 12, for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The reason why Paul wrote that is because he didn't want the people in the first century to think that the enemy was the emperor. He didn't want the people in the first century to think that this was just talking about gladiators and talking about that. He said it's not that. It's more than that. Verse 18... Praying the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all saints. Pray also for me, that, that when I speak a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. If you underline your Bible, underline that. Pray that I may declare it boldly, so I must speak. Now, I I just want to tell you, I've never preached on this section before because I've always had a problem with this whole armor of God thing because I didn't get it. I didn't really understand what Paul was doing. But I think I have a different understanding now. You see, what I never caught before is that Paul was a prisoner when he wrote this letter. I mean, what he says I'm an ambassador in chains. He is chained up. And sometimes in first century world, being chained up might mean you were chained to a wall, but it also might mean that you were chained to the guard. And so when Paul was writing this armor of God stuff, the breastplate, the sword, the shoes, the belt, he was simply writing about what he was looking at as he was staring at the guard, because that's what the guard would have been wearing. And he managed to take what the guard was wearing and to turn it into something that describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how we live. Now, you have to think about this differently than I do, because here's Paul, and it's really hot in here here's paul and he he is accused on false charges he is imprisoned he is beaten he has to rely on somebody for food for water for survival he has everything that you and i would consider important he has it stripped away from him He has no friends, no family, no community. He has lost his freedom. He has lost his possessions. He is, it's just Paul. And even in that condition, Paul was able to to talk about having a strong faith. He was able to write about strength. He was able to write about conviction. He was able to say, this is how we live. Now, I, I just, I just, that's why Paul and I have nothing in common. Because I, if I'm honest with you, I don't know if I could have done that. You take away everything that is important to me. You take away my, my wife, my family, my friends, my community, my freedom, my health. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would be able to write the armor of God, I would probably start writing about a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. They're not Paul. Paul just lays it out there. And I'm I want to know what his secret was. Because I wanted that kind of faith. When my world is falling apart, when things that I rely on, things that I count on, things that I need are stripped away, I I want to be able to, to write like Paul. To preach like Paul. To play the game and not just talk the game Um, the sermon was going in a whole different direction until Saturday when I left Sugar Land Methodist Hospital and had this conversation with the patient and and all of a sudden I began to understand that's how we're called to live see see, what what I've always done in the past is I've relied on my friends, my family, my community, my support to get me through those difficult times. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if they didn't do it, I always kind of, you know, gave myself a little pep talk, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it. Paul says that's not, It's not how we do it. And he gives us the clue in the very first sentence of the passage. When he says this, he says, finally, be strong. Now, when I used to read that, it's one of the things I didn't like about it. It seemed to me what Paul was doing is giving us a little pep talk, telling me that if I reach down deep enough, I can achieve strength. Be strong. It's like like he would say, shape up, be strong, get with it, just do it. Sounds like a Nike commercial, right? And he's saying, you can do that. But that's not what Paul wrote. If you translate it correctly, it wasn't some self-help type of thing. What Paul actually wrote was receive strength. there's a big difference. Because what Paul wrote means it has nothing to do with you or with me. It's not about relying on our own power, our own ability to pull ourselves up and to face these challenges. It is about allowing God to give us the strength that he promises and to just accept that we will receive God's strength. He's like saying, turn around. God's strength is right there for you. All you got to do is say, receive it. And that is the heartbeat of St. Patrick's prayer. Now, now, I wish I had time to go into the real St. Patrick. See, St. Patrick, just in case you're curious, had nothing to do with green beer, with um, parades, four-leaf clovers, and leprechauns. St. Patrick, if you read the real story, is the story of this man who has this incredible faith, and in the midst of adversities that were coming at him, one after another, after another, after another, he understood about his faith. And I first heard this prayer in 1997. It was was a TV show. Lasted for a year. It was called Nothing Sacred. And it was about this young priest who was struggling with his call. And in an episode in October, and you can Google it and you can watch the four-minute clip He is supposed to lead this prayer around a fire. And if you read the St. Patrick's story, you'll understand the fire. Because he didn't drive out snakes. Just so you know. Snakes were gone out of Ireland around the Ice Age. And he couldn't bring himself to do this prayer. So he's sitting in the sanctuary, and he's praying, and he's thinking, and finally he stands by the fire And he begins to recite this prayer. When he begins to recite it, he recites it slow and soft. But then as he begins to go through it, he gets louder and he gets more bold and he gets more strength in it because he begins to understand what these words are, what they mean. It is a prayer of Patrick's, whether he wrote it or not, it is what he felt, that you are never alone, that no matter what you go through, God's protection will surround you. It doesn't mean everything's gonna work out perfectly. It doesn't mean you're gonna have all the answers. People are still gonna get cancer. People are still gonna die. Marriages are still gonna break up. Financial problems are still gonna happen. You're still gonna have people out of jobs. It's just, it just means that, that in the midst of all of that, there is this strength that you can draw from, that doesn't come from you, that comes from God. And this priest, as he begins to understand that, his voice just gets bold. And when he gets to the part that says, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left... Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. And for Paul and for Patrick and for those who are going through those times, It is a reminder that you and I are never alone. That we have a God who surrounds us, who embraces us, who loves us, who promises to never leave us. And when we come up against battles and trials and tribulations, both seen and unseen, both real and imagined, When we come up against those, Christ in me, Christ with me, Christ behind me, beneath me, on the right, on the left. And then we are able to not just talk the game, but we can play the game. Or, as in the words of Paul, we are able to fight the good fight. We are able to finish the race. And we are able to keep the faith. Christ with me. Christ in me. Christ beside me. And the way Paul writes it is I am convinced that nothing, not life, not death, not addictions, not principalities, not cancer, not divorce, not mental illness, not dementia, not Alzheimer's, nothing, not nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. For that's the promise. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace both now and forever. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit go from this place. And may the peace and the love and the grace of God go with you. And may you know, may you remember, may you never forget that there is nothing you can do. Nothing. That will ever make God love you less. Because when God sees us, he doesn't see the mistakes that we make. He simply says, wow. Wow. You're nothing but the best of the best of the best. And can you imagine for just a moment what your day might be like if you lived it believing that? I think you'd have a good day.